Hello and welcome to Hong Kong Heritage. This week marks 30 years since the Tiananmen Massacre on June the 4th, 1989. The crackdown by the People's Liberation Army, which killed hundreds if not thousands of people in Beijing. These events had a huge impact on Hong Kong and will be the subject of the next two programs on Hong Kong Heritage. In next week's program, I'll be talking to labor unionist Lee Chukyan, who was in Beijing at the time with a team of Hong Kong students who were helping with logistics for the thousands of people protesting in Tiananmen Square. So the whole Tiananmen Square at the time when I was there was a period of time when there's a bit of uncertainty. Uncertainty in the sense that they have been there for quite some time already, almost one and a half month. And then how to go ahead? Of course, they want to continue the occupation because they're worried that once they disperse back to their uh, university or back to her home, there will be massive arrest aftermath. And then the Communist Party will revenge on them. So they need to st stick together and continue the struggle. This week, I go back into the library of RTHK for how the program Hong Kong Today covered the unfolding drama. Presenters Kit Cummings and Nick Bailey were on Hong Kong today on that first day for at least nine hours as they opened the phone lines to listeners who rang in to express their shock and how they felt the world should react. And I'll be starting this week's programme by talking with Nick Bailey from his home in England. We never thought uh, the Chinese military would uh, actually shoot uh, the students, not for one moment. I've edited and taken sound from some of the initial hours of those phone-ins as reporters, editors and listeners tried to make sense of what had occurred. Commentators include then-student leader Andrew Toe, the late Jimmy McGregor, a legislator and the founder of the Democratic Party, Martin Lee. So this is from those hours of Hong Kong Today on June the 4th, 1989. RTHK, the news summary at nine o'clock. Troops have smashed their way into Tiananmen Square, firing indiscriminately on unarmed protesters. It's not immediately clear how many people have been killed, but an American TV network put the death toll at 150. Hospitals were said to be having difficulty coping with the casualties. This report from Simon Long. Tiananmen Square is now home to the Chinese army. They moved in overnight with a devastating and ruthless use of force against the unarmed protesters trying to stop them. At 5.30 in the morning, I watched as a long column of more than 50 armoured personnel carriers, tanks and troop trucks tossed aside the remnants of the barricades and proceeded into the square from the east. For more than three hours before that, troops had entered the square from other directions and gradually sealed it off. At one point, some 10,000 student protesters were believed to be trapped in the square by the encirclement, during which troops had opened fire on those blocking them. Nobody knows the extent of the casualties. The frequent wail of ambulance sirens suggests there are many. Pedicab drivers have been applauded by townspeople for ferrying the wounded to hospital. I saw five corpses on stretchers. But eyewitnesses suggest that far more have died in the square. Tens or even hundreds of people. Not just from gunshot, but from being crushed by tanks. Tanks and armoured personnel carriers ploughed relentlessly through any obstacle in their way including, it seems, the student protesters' five-day-old goddess of democracy, their 30-foot near replica of the Statue of Liberty. Foreigners in a nearby hotel are not being allowed out. Police on the door are also confiscating any camera film they find on people coming in. The street outside, 
teeming with defiant townspeople only a few hours ago is quiet, though occasional gunfire can still be heard. Tim Luard was in the centre of Peking at the height of the violence and sent this report. Much of the worst violence was in outlying districts where hospitals said they couldn't cope with the numbers of gunshot wounds. One small hospital alone reported 300 casualties. As dawn broke, several hours after the troops moved in, soldiers in tanks and armoured troop carriers were firing pot shots at youths, throwing stones at them in the foreign embassy quarter. Diplomats reported that two members of an American television crew had been beaten up by soldiers and taken away at gunpoint. Crowds gathered on street corners later, shaking their heads in disbelief. One man cycling to work said he saw three bodies lying on the ground near the National Communist Party headquarters, where troops were continuing to fire volleys into the air to drive away the occasional lingering demonstrator. Students were asking the people of Peking to strike in protest at the military action. Much of the morning traffic consisted of military vehicles and ambulances. State radio quoted a commentary by the Liberation Army Daily saying the troops had moved in to protect the people of Peking. Since the Prime Minister Li Peng declared martial law two weeks ago, Chinese leaders have said repeatedly that the army would not be used against the people. It's likely to be some time before the political effects of the night's events become fully clear. But as the nation awakens to the horror of what has happened, some foreign diplomats are saying that they can only conclude, as the power struggle of the past week deepened, that army leaders simply lost patience and decided to stage what amounted to a coup. Legislative Councillor Mr Martin Lee told Kit Cummings that the decision to use troops had been an act of insanity by the Chinese authorities. I think uh, the present leadership will go down in history. Uh, in the Hall of Fame, along people like Hitler, Mussolini and the like. I think they are mad. There is a suggestion it might not have been a, a, a deliberate policy by the government. In what the words of one of our people there, declaring war on their own people, it might have been perhaps an act of revenge by elements of the army who were humiliated by yesterday's failure of the military to take over Tiananmen Square without the use of guns. No way. Um, I don't think the army would have, would have dared... To, to do that without strict orders. And obviously this is a very crack division, uh, maybe the only division in, in China um, uh, which would do things like that. And there's no doubt at all that they would have been brainwashed. And, and But even then I, I find it difficult that uh, any soldier could fire at his own compatriot who is um, <laughs> without weapons and by using machine guns and tanks. I mean, even Marcos didn't do that to, the, to his people. One of the organisers of the rally at Happy Valley Racecourse this afternoon, Mr Lee Wing Tat, says he expects very large numbers of people to attend to protest against the events in China. I think the crowds will, will, will I expect, will be much larger than 100,000 because, uh, just as you say, that because the Beijing government used force and you, this kind of bloody suppression to the uh, unarmed Chinese people. Um, uh, we have talked to the police that um, we use the Happy Valley, we maybe also use some kinds of uh, space or roads around the race course. Um, we hoped that the, that the Hong Kong people can group together to use the united force. When, when you say force, Mr. Lee, uh, would you be talking about some sort of violence, some sort of violent demonstrations, or, or will you insist that, as far as you can, that it remains peaceful? Uh, as far as we can, Alliance will insist that we use long violence methods.
And that was the nine o'clock news summary from RTHK. Can you tell me about that day? When did you just suddenly make the decision, right, we're just going to have, what was it, like 10 hours of Hong Kong today? Uh, it must have been certainly nine or 10 hours. In fact, funnily enough, I'd taken some leave. We knew that things were tense because martial law had been declared at least a week beforehand, but we never thought uh, the Chinese military would uh, actually shoot uh, the students, not for one moment. And uh, because I was on leave, I was up late on Sunday night watching The Great Escape, and news started to come in about one o'clock in the morning about the events at Tiananmen Square. And I immediately phoned Terry Nealon, who was the editor of Hong Kong Today, and said, I'm, I'm definitely cancelling my leave. I will be there tomorrow morning uh, at 6 o'clock. And the programme went on at 7. And we just stayed on air. I mean, we just uh, took the calls. Uh, it was a very tragic time for China and also uh, a tragic time for Hong Kong because they thought that uh, the Chinese... Uh, if they did that, they could just walk into Hong Kong uh, at any time. So it was a very tense, it was a very exciting time. And I was on air with uh, Kit Cummings, and we stayed on air for maybe not as long as 10 hours uh, after that, but certainly until at least midday uh, throughout the rest of the week, and I think into the following week as well. Uh, it was just something we felt we needed to do, and uh, we were inundated with calls, uh, not only from Hong Kong, but also we managed to get quite a few calls from China as well. Now, what was interesting about your coverage is it also shows where the mindset was 30 years ago, this idea that there was this hope that the uh, students in Tiananmen would bring about some kind of democratic change in China. Very much so. And they had a, a goddess of democracy statue in Tiananmen Square, and that was replicated in Hong Kong in uh, Victoria Park. And you've got to remember, 1989, communism was in its last days, really, in, uh, certainly in Eastern Europe. And we thought it's fallen in Russia, and China is the next uh, citadel to fall. But it, unfortunately, it didn't happen, and it you know, still hasn't happened. But that was the hope, certainly, of the people of, of Hong Kong at the time. And they were at one with the students in Tiananmen Square, and I think that's why it shocked Hong Kong as much as it did China. From a reporting perspective, it must have been quite difficult in those early hours to really know what was going on. It was. I mean, we, we had direct links to uh, the BBC correspondent in Peking at the time, James Miles, and they kept us up, uh, up to date. And it was really through them that we knew what was going on. And without that, it would have been, it would have been very, very difficult. So the idea was for people to be able to vent, to be able to air their views, or to, get, to bring new, new views to the programme? Well, I think it was such a big event. I mean, it was such a momentous event. Even now, looking at it 30 years on, uh, you know, I still remember that day extremely clearly. And I think we felt it was our duty uh, just to keep going. And it was a, it was a way of, of the people of Hong Kong to let off steam. From a historical perspective, if we bear in mind that it was eight years before the Hong Kong handover and uh, it's five years after the joint declaration was signed. So where are we at in terms of, because I hear some of your listeners at that time are asking for a basic law. Yes, uh, I mean, I think they, uh, certainly after those events, uh, people, the legislative councillors wanted to pursue democracy at all costs. I think it, it sort of accelerated what had already started, albeit slowly. And that became 
very much the talking point subsequently on Hong Kong Today. Uh, it became democracy, democracy, democracy. Whether that, uh, whether we achieved anything, I, I don't know. But Martin Lee, of course, became very prominent. Uh, he was prominent before, but he became uh, particularly prominent following the events of uh, June the 4th. And we continue with our special edition of Hong Kong Today with Nick Bailey and Kit Cummings. We've invited your calls on Kowloon 388266. We've had a number of calls so far, and we have another caller on the line now to comment on the situation in Peking where the military, as you've just heard, have taken over Tiananmen Square from the demonstrators with the use of tanks and troops. Good morning. I'm really yes. angry. Really, I'm really angry. The Chinese, the Chinese authorities used force to get to, to fight at the... To, at the students, at the citizens. Do you feel then that Mr. Li Pang and the other hardliners should simply step away and leave the government to someone else? I think they should be executed. Yes, that thought was also expressed by a Chinese journalist who was interviewed at the scene, uh, that, um, that the Chinese leadership should be executed and replaced by whom? But by the, by the uh, uh, reformers. I, I came from chi China uh, 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 15 years ago. Then I, I was a kid only, but my uncles were tortured. Tortured? Were tortured. So are you surprised that the present Chinese government, which after all is, is basically the same people in the same party, in the same system, are you surprised that they should, uh, in order to retain power, should ultimately resort to guns? Does it surprise you with your background, knowing something about what happened during the, the 1960s and 70s? I'm sorry, I, I, I'm Thank you very much. I appreciate why you should be emotional at this time. Thank you for ringing. Kowloon 388266. We have another caller on the line now. Good morning. Hello. I'm sorry, I can't say good morning. No, it's not a good morning, morning. is it? Like everybody else, I woke up appalled, disgusted, absolutely devastated. Um, you've had quite a number of people on talking about uh, democracy in Eastern Europe. I just happened to have uh, come back from Eastern Europe a few weeks ago. And I was absolutely amazed at the optimism of people in Hungary and Czechoslovakia, where I was, that they will finally now get democracy. And the other thing which... Hello? Yes, we're listening to you. Yeah. And the other thing which has absolutely appalled me this morning is the response from the British government. We have just had a statement from a foreign office spokesman. Surely to God... Uh, with the situation in China, Maggie Thatcher should have been out there and made a personal statement. Well, you, yes, you may say that. I, I can tell you what Britain has said officially in, in terms of that uh, Foreign Office statement. It, it simply says that Britain is gravely concerned at the clashes. Yes. And uh, the Foreign Office spokesman repeated an earlier British government appeal to Peking, to the authorities in Peking, for moderation and restraint. You think that's a bit thin stuff in these times? I think you? it certainly is, and I'm not British. I'm Irish, and I know what uh, conflict is all about. Did you, did you say Britain should be reacting? You, you mentioned Britain. You haven't mentioned France. You haven't uh, mentioned no, I Brazil. No, I haven't met, mentioned France, but certainly there has been a statement from George Bush. Mm. But where's Maggie Thatcher? With the number of British people there are here in Hong Kong and all the now uncertainty about the, the basic law, I think it's a matter of time till there's something uh, more definitive from Mrs. Thatcher and perhaps also from Sir Geoffrey Howe. Uh, that, that, I'm sure, will come after they've decided. Of course, the, the difficulty is it not that uh, no country wants to be seen blatantly meddling in the affairs of other countries. Agreed. And I agree with that totally, is... but certainly the situation that has happened overnight deserves a, a comment directly from Maggie Thatcher. 
we had a call earlier on asking, uh, was Royal getting comment from uh, President Bush and the British government, but what about local comment from our leader here? The leader in question, of course, being the Governor, Sir David Wilson. Well, when we had that call, at that very moment, in fact, the Governor was recording uh, his message with our reporter at Government House. We now have that message in our studio. And with his reaction to events overnight in Peking, here is the Governor, Sir David Wilson. All of, us, all of us in Hong Kong have been watching with great concern what has been happening in Peking and in China over these past few weeks. We've been watching with intense interest the way in which the problem would be handled and what the outcome would be. I think most of us here have been watching, listening very carefully to every news broadcast that has been coming out of Peking, and we have been served extremely well by those who have been carrying the news to us with such speed. But it is tragic news. I have listened this morning with shock and with deep sadness to the news in Peking of the tragic events there, and I'm particularly saddened and shocked by the loss of life in Peking. I'm sure that these are sentiments that will be shared by many, most people in Hong Kong. It is a, a time for sad and sober reflection for all of us here. That was the Governor of Hong Kong, His Excellency Sir David Wilson, with his immediate reaction to the events in Peking. We have another caller on the line. I believe it's Mr. Jimmy McGregor, Legislative Councillor. Yes, good morning. Mr. McGregor, you heard the Governor then probably saying uh, in a very moving way that he was uh, struck by the tragedy of events in Peking. He used the word shock, sadness. Would you agree that, that those are your immediate reactions to Yes, of course. I think these, these are the uh, reactions from anybody in Hong Kong. I think it's disgusting and disgraceful. Uh, what actually is happening or has happened in Beijing and what will probably now, uh, there will be further repressive action without any doubt at all. This is exactly what I feared yesterday, frankly, when I spoke about a probe um, to be followed up by armed action. But I, even in my worst dreams, I couldn't have imagined uh, how brutal the attack would be. Any Chinese government will do its utmost to try to, if you like, uh, protect foreign interests in China. They will try to uh, assure foreign investors. They will try to maintain a, an economic situation that will still remain attractive to foreign uh, company, uh, countries uh, and companies uh, in order to protect the economy. They cannot, uh, on the one hand, force down and, and obliterate any form of uh, democracy or, or desire for democracy by people, and at the same time, uh, totally ruin their economy. That would be madness beyond belief. So I think that once they secure the position uh, throughout China, obviously by force or threat of force, they will then turn their attention to some form of recovery of the economy, and in other words, to make the assurances necessary to foreign investors and so on. But I think they're going to have a very difficult job ahead of them. But what about the joint declaration? Is, is, is even that, our, after all, that's our anchor to the future? Is, is that even in doubt? I, I think it's in doubt. I think, the, I, I think some of the assurances given in the joint declaration, how can we view them now? How, how, can we, how can we trust a government which is willing to put down with such, with, with such dreadful force uh, an unarmed uh, uh, protestation uh, by students of all people, mm. of their own people? So I think that there are areas within the uh, joint declaration. I think the British government must be very, very deeply and seriously concerned. We now re return to Mr. Andrew Toe, who's the leader of the Federation of Hong Kong Students. Have you been able to contact those people of yours in China? And if so, what are they saying to you? just heard that uh, some of our students who are now in Beijing uh, is, is now safe. 
Were they were they witnesses to the carnage in Tiananmen Square? Yeah, I think so. But but you're convinced that none of them are amongst the dead and the wounded? Uh, most of them are now safe, and only five are found to be uh, not available. Unaccounted for, are they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How many people do you actually have there? Around twenty. So what what is your advice? I mean, presumably your people in Peking are saying to you, what should we do? Are we going to give up our lives? Are we going to stand in front of the tanks? Are we going to come back to Hong Kong? Are we going to encourage the students not to stand up to the guns themselves? Have you been able to give your 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 students in Peking any advice as to what you, the Federation students, would like them to do in these very, very difficult circumstances? Uh, at this moment, uh, our advice uh, for their personal safety uh, it would be better for them to go back as soon as possible. Go back, come back to Hong Kong, you mean? Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mr. Andrew Toe from the Federation of Students, one of the organizers of uh, demonstrations here. Thank you for joining us in Hong Kong today. And you're listening to a special edition of Hong Kong Today with Kit Cummings and Nick Bailey. We'll return to your calls shortly, but now to find out the latest from Peking Live, we're joined by the BBC correspondent there, James Miles. James, what is the situation now? Is there, is there anybody left in Tiananmen Square? It's uh, not really clear whether there are any students, uh, certainly students alive in Tiananmen Square at the moment. Uh, the square has been cordoned off by lines uh, of troops uh, this morning, uh, crowds began gathering again in front of uh, one uh, line of troops at the northeastern entrance uh, to the square near the Peking Hotel. Thousands of people gathered there, uh, angrily facing the lines of troops uh, just uh, right up uh, to their noses. Uh, at about 10 past 10, that's about half an hour ago, uh, troops opened fire uh, after what had been a lull in the shooting in the area of about one or two hours. It's not clear whether the troops were firing in the air or at the crowd. Uh, the people scattered. They fled back uh, about 200 yards and uh, regrouped again, looking at the lines of soldiers who were standing with their weapons at the ready. Slogans have appeared in the area where the people have gathered. One of them is written in blood on a traffic island. It says, Li Pang, you will never live in peace. Do you have the latest casualty toll? We have no accurate uh, count so far of uh, casualties. We know there have been many, dozens of people killed, hundreds of people injured. It's impossible to put a figure, a figure, uh, uh, an accurate figure on them. Uh, we're constantly getting updates uh, from the hospitals uh, around the area. It seems that, uh, from what you say, that the, that the students and the people themselves haven't been clamped down. The clampdown hasn't worked because you say the shooting, there was shooting going on only a few minutes ago, so that the people are still out there, still uh, fighting the troops. Well, yes, and uh, calls we've been getting uh, from anxious uh, Chinese, uh, many of whom are listening, of course, to, to the BBC for the latest news of this, uh, are um, suggesting that the people are, are terrified, but, but more than that, they are uh, full of contempt and anger at the government. They talk now of uh, a possible rebellion uh, here in China, and I think that it's going to be far from easy, in spite of this massive use of force, uh, to pacify the people of Peking. I think they'll keep coming back, and they'll keep uh, being shot at uh, until finally 
uh, the soldiers can perhaps impose some sort of uneasy peace, but uh, what we're witnessing is undoubtedly the start of major turmoil here. How is the official Chinese media covering events? The Chinese uh, official media has been, uh, this morning at any rate, the television has been broadcasting announcements uh, justifying the uh, use of force and uh, expressing um, solicitude to the troops involved in the action uh, last uh, night. Um, I don't know the, yet the full details of what these uh, broadcasts uh, have been saying. There were, there were troops, there were armor personnel carriers going into, into the square. Uh, were tanks used uh, at all in, in, in the onslaught? That's very difficult to say. Reports have spoken of tanks, uh, but uh, uh, from what I gather, uh, at least uh, from witnesses I've spoken to, uh, the vehicles seen were mostly armored personnel carriers, uh, which are uh, different uh, to the extent that they do not have the uh, characteristic gun protruding from uh, the front. Uh, we understand that uh, casualties deaths indeed were caused by armored personnel carriers crashing through uh, barricades of vehicles, even army vehicles, during uh, the night, uh, and armored personnel carriers were seen in flames around the edge of Tiananmen Square. Uh, but so far, I, I'm, I could not say for sure whether actual tanks have been involved. Of course, under martial law regulations, you're not meant to be reporting on this, you're not meant to be talking to me now, but I think all journalists have ignored this this warning. How, uh, how close did you manage actually to get to the events, to the troops, to the students uh, in the events last night? Well, I can't say that for, for obvious reasons. Um, I specifically have uh, been given a warning by the police uh, two days ago uh, in which I was told I had violated martial law and uh, was warned that I would have to bear the consequences if I did so again. Um, I think it should be obvious from the way we've been reporting um, what has been uh, happening in fact. Uh, and I can certainly say that uh, many journalists have been out on the streets during the night and have witnessed uh, a lot of this bloodshed. Have you been uh, followed at all? Have you been monitored? One of our local television stations here, there was a live report last night saying that there were police actually monitoring their movements. I'm not aware myself of having been monitored, but uh, I know that uh, almost every uh, demonstrator, almost every resident I've, uh, I've met uh, has, uh, is aware, uh, not only of my case, they know my name and they're very worried on my behalf. Uh, I, I don't know how the authorities are monitoring us, but I'm, I've uh, no doubt that they would want to. I think they're probably uh, embarrassed uh, at the extent to which people are listening to the BBC and relying on uh, its uh, information for news of this unrest. And if uh, there is any crackdown, it wouldn't surprise me if it were to uh, take the form uh, at least of reprisals against uh, journalists and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised against the BBC itself. Bearing in mind the embarrassment this must be to the, the, the Chinese government worldwide, why didn't they cut IDD lines? Well, I, I don't know that. It's uh, very difficult to say what the technicalities, the technical difficulties involved in, in such an operation uh, would be. Uh, so I, I could only uh, speculate. I, I would uh, suggest perhaps that it, it was maybe... Uh, so difficult for them to do so and with so much else on their hands that, uh, or possibly resistance from the post office itself. Who knows? Uh, it's a sheer speculation at this stage. Well, the good thing is you're still getting through to us. James Miles live from Peking.
Thank you very much for coming on the line. Kowloon 388-266 is our telephone number. More calls after the news. The news with the latest events in China, in Peking in particular, of course. At the forecast, there will be sunny periods during the day, which is good news, obviously, for the city and at Happy Valley, which is due to start at 2 o'clock. Some scattered showers later, though. The maximum temperature will be about 29 degrees. Currently 26, humidity 92%. That was Kit Cummings and Nick Bailey on Hong Kong Today and Janet Alexander reading the news on Radio 3 RTHK. Next week I'll be talking to Lee Chuk Yan of the Hong Kong Alliance in support of patriotic democratic movements of China about his recollections of being in Beijing with the student protesters in Tiananmen Square. Among other events to mark the 30th anniversary here in Hong Kong there will also be a candlelight vigil in Victoria Park on June the 4th which begins at 8pm. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.